This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I'm happy to be back. I always dream to be back as well. So it's, it's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to, to get started. And we started it a bit today. Spoke with the guys and, uh, and saw a training. And on Monday we will really go. But uh, I'm really delighted and uh, excited by being back. And now, of course, I'm great to be here and you really feel you feel at the club I felt that yesterday uh, really warm people uh, nice people helpful people and that's what you want Hi, I'm Matt Janssen, and you're listening to the BRFCS Podcast. This is a BRFCS Podcast, sponsored by the lovely people at The Terrace Store. Follow them on Twitter at The Terrace Life, and check out their website at theterracestore.com. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome to the podcast Steve Williams. Steve wears many hats, amongst them proud Lancastrian, historian, speaker, and perhaps most importantly and most relevant for this podcast, he's a Rovers fan. But he's also been a linesman and a referee in his time and today does a lot of work with the Rovers Trust and the Sporting Memories Charity. So it's a pleasure, distinct pleasure to to chat to him tonight. Steve, how are you? Very well. Thank you very much for having me on Um 
what would you want to know? <laughs> well, yeah, but by, judging by the the wealth of stuff that you can talk about, and that's on your website, and I strongly recommend people take a look at that. It's stevewilliamstalks.co.uk. There's there's any raft of stuff. I think what we'll do just to structure the conversation is like let, let's learn a little bit more about you. So let's start off. What was the what was the young Steve's first memory of perhaps football and Blackburn Rovers particular? We moved to Blackburn. Um, I'm from Preston originally, but we moved to Blackburn in about 58-59. And I think about 1961, I walked down to the Rovers, down Livesey Branch Road to Ewood, on my own, with my money and my thrippens for some um, toffees. And I went on uh, to the Rovers in, what, 1961, watching one of the greatest teams I've seen. Yeah. Uh, But I'm biased, of course. and I used to sit on the riverside of one of the planks. Oh, yes. Yeah, and watch games. And I watched Brian Douglas and Blackburn Rovers demolish Tottenham Hotspur 7-2. And that was it for me. Uh, not realising uh, what, be another oh, six, seven years later, I will be actually refereeing on the hallowed turf in uh, schoolboys finals. Fantastic. And it was just an unbelievable thing. Um, I went to... Uh, grammar school in Blackburn, which became a comprehensive, and I was not very good educationally wise. I wasn't really interested. I wanted to be a footballer, but didn't make it. So I took up refereeing at school, and that was uh, fabulous for me because it gave me a career of thirty years. And I've I've seen a few things in my time. As you can imagine. <laughs> well, uh, perhaps you can share one or two with us as the conversation unfolds, and oh, hopefully yes. the lawyers won't interfere too much in, in the final output. Let's just go back to Rovers in the 60s then, because uh, for, for our younger listeners, you know, the, there was a, a maximum wage which was abolished in the early 60s, mm. and many would point to that as being the death knell for the, for the town sides. But Rovers have been in the cup final, of course, in 1960, and yeah. boasted a side including Ronnie Clayton and Brian Douglas, who got Stan's name after him at Ewood. What was watching that side like then as a small boy? Oh, it, it was unbelievable. Um just to, it, it was almost like awe-inspiring. You just watch it with your mouth open and going, well, this is great football, you know, and, and that was the yardstick for me. And, of course, as I moved on um, into refereeing, amateur, semi-pro football and linesman on the Football League for 12 years, I've watched some good games and I've watched some absolutely awful games. And um, unfortunately, I, I, I was only allowed back onto the Rovers once in a uh, Lancashire FA Youth Cup game, uh, which um, well, I, I think it was about nineteen eighty-five or something like that, because I was too too near. Uh, we'd moved just to um, one of the villages near near just outside Blackburn and Chorley, so it was you weren't allowed to go and officiate yeah, um, at um, Ewood, yeah, and. Uh, but uh, that was um, fascinating to see that, and yeah, I wouldn't have swapped it for the for, for the world. Um, you know, I've been to officiated in uh, in Italy at Atalanta, and that was an experience. We got bribed. <laughs> I soon just we accepted it. We were told to accept. They'll offer you things. And we just politely said, no, we're, we're British. We don't do things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, and I've seen all sorts of things. Um, the great um, Mr. Soonis in one dugout, 
at Liverpool, back of me, and Howard Wilkinson, the other. And basically, I was just listening to a, a, a conversation in inverted commas for 90 minutes, which basically the police superintendent wanted to intervene. And I said, don't bother, just let him get on with it. Uh, and I've had Brian Clough uh, back of me, an absolute charming gentleman. Love Brian Clough. Um, he was a great yeah. respect for officials, though, wasn't he, Brian? He was. Um, yeah, and I will say, and I was saying this, I'd love to tell the academy this. Brian Clough said, I don't pay you to talk to referees and linesmen. And he's right. You, wh what do you want to talk to us about? You're not going to get us to change our decision. And don't get me on VAR. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> what was your most memorable uh, game that you were officiated in then, whether as a referee or a linesman? Linesman, I was on the uh, Derby game uh, at Roker Park. Um, Sunderland played Newcastle, Kevin Keegan's Newcastle. Oh, right. When okay. they'd gone 11 games undefeated yeah. and they'd gone to Roker Park. And absolutely unbelievable that game. The atmosphere on it. And it was quite interesting. When they um, scored the goal, Newcastle scored it. Um, I, I, I had to get onto the pitch to stop the Newcastle players getting off the pitch and celebrating. And by sheer chance, I opened the, well, I saw the back page of the Daily Express on the Monday morning in the office. And I was in the picture. And I've got <laughs> that picture thinking, well, you know, you get everywhere, Steve, you know, but... But there's been many, many, many things, and uh, it's it's memories now because I finished in '96, yeah, and uh, then moved into uh, uh, moved away from my marketing career into my own business career, and uh, managed to retire early. Uh, but when I finished in '96, I must confess, I was a bit disillusioned with football. Um, the Premier League had come in; um, it caused a lot of. Um, uh, changes and it wasn't the same football that I'd started with and it wasn't the same refereeing culture Yeah, and I won't develop that further. I do a talk called The Ref. It's an interesting one and I ask people, do you want the language kept in or do you want the language taken out? <laughs> do you want the truth or do you want the... Just sanitized sanitized version, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah and um, it, it isn't... Behind the scenes, uh, and I'll say this to people listening to podcasts, behind the scenes is totally different to what you see on or from the terraces. I've been privileged to be able to actually see football from the green bits. Yeah. I get paid for it. Yeah. You know, and I've been on pitches, my first um, first division game on that team sheet was Kenny Dalglish. Wow. Yeah, 1985 at Anfield. And I was absolutely shit scared. I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> you are. Yes, I am. That's the only terminology I can use as a, as a human being. But what an experience. And I've been at Anfield and thereafter numerous times, been at Old Trafford um, for Man United, uh, even been down to West Ham United, Crystal Palace, because I had business interests in, in London. So, uh, and I've even been to Hartlepool and, um, you know, um, and I'm not sure, I'm trying to find it, whether I was on a game with Tony Mowbray. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll put a tweet up on, on my Twitter feed, uh, now but a lad, if I find it, uh, I'm sure Rovers fans uh, and the followers will be interested, um, you know, because how 
how it comes full circle, isn't it? Well, it was the um, it was your Nank but a lad Twitter profile that first alerted me to to what you were doing. And these days, you, I think you would describe yourself more as a historian and speaker. So how did how did the transition occur from being on the field, being a spectator, to becoming a historian? Well, actually, um, I'm I'm not a football historian as such. Uh, my when I sold my business in 2002, um, I had nothing to do, basically. Um, I said to my wife, come on, I've always wanted to go to the World War One battlefields in Europe. So we got in the car and went. Yeah. I'd been there in 1992 with my dad, um, who was a Dunkirk veteran, and we'd gone to Passchendaele. And, and basically, it was another 10 years before I could do it. So we started going to the battlefields and... Oh, it just went on and on and on. And um, and then in oh, 2006, I met um, Lindsay Hoyle, the MP for Chorley. Yeah. And which obviously speaker speak of the House yeah, of Commons. Yeah. Known Lindsay for some time. And he just turned around to me and said, hey, Steve, what are we going to do about the Chorley Pals, who were part of the famous Accrington Pals, yeah. Italian, um, who went over the top on the Somme on the 1st of July? 1916 he said what are we going to do about it i've been asked to get a memorial to them what do you think i said well okay let's see what we can do and we started and uh in 2010 we unveiled the pals memorial statue in chorley that's fantastic Uh, and um, from then um i i started doing um battlefield trips coach trips bespoke coach trips and and then of course you started writing books i wrote a book about the chorley pals um so i've researched what 300 men and then i wrote a book about the men from my two villages of brindle and horton where i live um 330 men who fought in the first world war uh so when you consider my english teacher called me thick (laughs) yeah that's the bad is it really yeah be able to do two books the stuff that I've seen on Not But a, Not But a Lad, that you're, what you're starting to do now is there is that Rovers First World War crossover. Oh yeah, and you've been tweeting about the oh, the, yeah. the what shall I say war records of some Rovers players of yeah. those eras. So tell us a bit more about that. It's logical for me, and it's a passion as well because I I, um, I know Dan at Rovers is a great historian called Mike Jackman, and I've met yes. him a couple of times now, and we've uh, to, to, you know hit it off and. Uh, he does the statistical side of it and all the oh, fabulous stuff, what he does. But I like the backstories, but I also like the military stories and then interpret what I find. And if I find a serial number, I find a unit. And if I find a unit and I see a service record, I can then find out where it was. And one particular uh, Rovers guy was, was blown up on the Somme and, right. and for the next six years suffered from shell shock. And that's on, uh, in his medical records. And that's just one example. Um, when it comes to this new project for the Rovers Trust, um, Rovers in Uniform, and it is going to look like a book. I'd love to get it done for Remembrance Day yeah. this year. And it's going to be, uh, well, it's growing like Topsy because I'm just looking now at, uh, what, 33 from the First World War similar number from the Second World War. And, of course, National Service and, and my boyhood hero, Brian Douglas, who 
I do a talk about Brian Douglas, and I've met him a couple of times, a gentleman, real gentleman. Uh, he did national service in the RAF. And I don't think the, this new generation um, realise what has gone on. You know, when you're having your career interrupted by two years national service, yeah. Getting some in, I think the phrase yes. was. Some of your older members. <laughs> I can remember the sitcom, if not national service. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, you know, um, it, it's fabulous that, and I just enjoyed doing that. I took my good friend, who was a football league referee, who sadly died of COVID um, uh, about eighteen months ago. Um, we blew a whistle over the grave of a football league linesman. Right. And we thought that is the way to pay tribute to fallen colleagues. And he was actually, the uh, linesman, was actually in the football battalion as a private, but he was then refereeing the, the, the inter-battalion games. And, of course, there would be officers in there. But, of course, the referee has precedence, rank-wise, over the major, uh, Frank Buckley and people like that. <laughs> so, you know, because, of course, I, I do say to the people um, it's in the opinion of the referee mind you on the Premier League it's the opinion of VAR absolutely various other things but you know tell us more about the, the work with, with the trust and the, the talks that you've done with um, Sporting Memories because well, we've had Tony Parks's daughter on the podcast and yeah. she talked about the, the work that's done there and I know that the, there's a few people who follow our account on Twitter and we retweet stuff for them so I've been doing talks since 2003 I'm a marketing man so I do illustrated talks and, and I've been ramping them up but during um, lockdown, um, it just went. There was nothing. And I'd like to think I'm a pretty outgoing sort of guy, but I found lockdown pretty hard yeah. from a, a, a health and well-being point of view. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, I've got a supportive uh, good lady and, uh, and family, uh, and FaceTime and, you know, does help. But I didn't like it, and clearly... Um, men don't talk about their uh, mental health, they don't talk about their well-being, they don't talk about social isolation, they don't go to the doctors, oh no, I'll be alright, forget that, go, guys, go. And um, I um, I thought, well, hang on a minute, um, I'd like to put something back. Um, so I contacted the uh, Chorley Sporting Memories Network and uh, by, by sheer chance, the guy who runs that uh, went to I believe went to school with my wife in Leyland, so it's quite a small world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I started doing work for them as a volunteer, and I did a talk with them, and then I've been to the LFA one, done a talk there. But I'd also put a marker down with uh, Lindsay Talbot down at the Rovers and said, look, you know, if, if anything I could do. And um, lockdown and various other things didn't happen. But I then went back and said, look, what's going on? And she referred me to the trust and, and Nick Cooney and we had a meeting and we just hit it off. And uh, I'm coming up to my 70th birthday shortly. Uh, you know, I'm quite happy. And if I stayed home, uh, I'm going to just turn into a vegetable. I'm not that sort of 70-year-old or nearly 70-year-old. And so basically, um, yeah, I've, 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 I've chatted to the veterans group, which is on a Tuesday, which is a of course, a natural thing for me to do. How often do you do those 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 sorts of things? It's just starting uh, with all the Sporting Memories Network um, 
connections and with the Rover Trust. I don't know where it's going to take um, me. I mean, when I do my Lancashire history talks, which is the main theme, I have about 20 on on my in my catalogue. My football talks, well, one about Brian Douglas, uh, one about the um, Rovers in black and white, which is, um, you know, uh, up to the second greatest team with um, when they won the third division championship, you know, yeah. with all that and uh, captain by the late McHeaton. Yeah. Sadly missed. And, you know, that's... So I, I do that. Um, and then, of course, I, I also look at doing um, one for our Preston North End fans and friends, um, Sir Tom Finney, uh, North End in the Tom Finney era. And I actually met him. Um, at uh, an event at the National Football Museum yeah, when he was at when Preston. he was at Preston, yeah, yeah, and he was charming. And I did invite him to the debut of my talk, but by which time his mental um, Alzheimer's and yeah, so yeah, on yeah, yeah. was deteriorating. So uh, I didn't get a chance to present it to him, but he sent a very generous message to me, which was very nice. Didn't have to, but this is this is where players. Um, of that era, and uh, and perhaps modern players might want to learn that. Uh, be, be gracious. I still, I still find it astonishing, uh, yeah, for some of my generation, that uh, Preston had Tom Finney, Blackburn had Brian Douglas and Ronnie Clayton. Such absolutely, yeah, Blackpool had Stanley Matthews for a while. Obviously, no, 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 I'm going to stop you there. No, no, I'm going to stop you. No, no, no. Ronnie Clayton was a Preston man, of course, and. Uh, North End didn't want him, so he came to Norwich. <laughs> Stanley Matthews, right, was a Stoke man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He only joined Blackpool because he was at Wheaton Camp in the war. Yeah. And he, and Stoke wouldn't pay him, so he went to offer himself to Blackpool. Yeah. They had to wait many years him. before they got him back. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I will say my father was a useful full-back for Western Football Club at, near, uh, at Kirkham there after the war. And he always said, he said, hey, he'd love to play against Tom Finney because the second time he came past him, he won't come past him the third time. <laughs> and uh, I said, why not, Dad? He said, because he said if there was a stand, he'd be in row 13. <laughs> and uh, I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, uh, he was protected by referees. We will not go that route. <laughs> yeah, so I do these talks. I do one about um, Lancashire footballing greats. And then, of course, I do my refereeing career, which... Um, is um, interesting, should we say, but but visual as well. I, I put up um, photographs. I've been able to combine my interest in history, where I market things, and also uh, photography to be able to present this. Steve, listen, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. And the book, you're hoping to get the book out, well, if it turns into a book, as you say, later this year, do... Uh, yeah. Do tweet us and let us know when that's yeah. coming out and when you're doing any talks uh, yeah. that will cover cover football. Obviously, we'll, we'll gladly gladly publicise those. But for folks that want to know more, they follow you on Twitter and your Twitter handle is NoutButterLad and your website is stevewilliamstalks.co.uk. And I think there's a lot of information on there, certainly. It is indeed. And, um, you know... Um... I'm just looking forward to this book. Um, Rovers in uniform, and I'm a simple bloke. It's what it is on the tin, that's what you're getting. I'll leave you with one little um, anecdote. 
I'm the only referee who probably has been booed onto the field of play at Clitheroe, you know, because I used to enjoy refereeing and the nice combination and, and uh, Northwest counties. And the announcer would go, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the referee this afternoon is Mr. S.E. Williams from Chorley. And the boos started as I walked up the tunnel. <laughs> and I think it stems from refereeing uh, Clitheroe versus Accrington Stanley on a boxing day where I definitely gave them value for money, <laughs> you know. And, Plenty of uh, decisions per, per minute. It's Christmas. You give them entertainment. <laughs> and uh, that sort of game, you just go there, toss the coin, step back and just... Uh, get on let, yeah. So that's the sort of thing. I think if you can't enjoy what you're doing, don't do it, whether it's writing, whether it's social media or even football. Absolutely. And football is the greatest talking point going and thanks very much for having me on it's been an absolute pleasure steve you've been a, been a joy uh, you're welcome back anytime but as i say when the book's out in particular it'd be good to, to have a look at that thank you for financial reasons the rfcs podcast needs a transition into a sponsorship message this is that transition. You're looking for the perfect gift for a football fan, aren't you? In that case, you need to go to theterrorstore.com and search through the marvellous range of Rovers products. You'll see mugs, prints, bags and much, much more, all in the colours of your favourite team, Blackburn Rovers. And as you are a loyal listener to the BRFCS podcast, enter BRFCS at the checkout to secure a 10% discount. Welcome to the BRFCS podcast, Paul Worthington and Simon Burns. Uh, first of all, I'm going to ask them to establish their Rovers bona fides, and then we're going to talk about why I've got them both on as guests, because they've got something quite interesting that they'd like to share with Rovers supporters. So I'm going to come to Paul first. Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? When did you first become aware of this entity called Blackburn Rovers Football Club? So I grew up in the Rural Valley, um, where I spent all my formative years going to school, where I met Simon. He and I uh, met at Clitheroe Grammar. We worked together in a local supermarket, going to Rovers games together. I first became really aware and interested in Blackburn Rovers, actually after the 1998 World Cup. So the mid-90s success era for Blackburn was a little bit too early for me, to be honest with you. It was actually the 98 World Cup and really just being fascinated by it that my dad decided to take me down to Ewood Park. And it just so happened to be that they were playing PSV Eindhoven uh, in a friendly um, prior to the season we got relegated. And I absolutely loved it. Even though it was a pre-season friendly, I was just really, really fascinated by the atmosphere, being out of the ground. And then my first full season as a fan was sadly the season we got relegated. So it started off on quite a low low point for me as a fan. Um, and then it was kind of a case of like rebuilding and establishing ourselves from there as a club. So that was me kind of getting into Blackburn very late 90s, I would say. Good stuff, good stuff. You'd like to think that that relegation would have been the low point of your Rover supporting. But as we all now know, that wasn't the low point of the Rover support. But there we go. Thanks, Paul, for that. We'll come back to you momentarily. Simon, you're also on the line. So same question to you, really. Establish your Rover's bona fides for our audience. <sighs> It's um it's with some trepidation that I kind of 
let let this on so 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 early in uh in the kind of conversation i'm not even sure if paul's aware of this but i actually wasn't a rovers fan straight out of the blocks i was a united fan in 94 95 at the, at the tender age of six and then it was it was it was you know, despite the fact that that was our Premier League winning season, um, I was a bit I was a bit disenchanted with the Man United kind of bandwagon. So then moves changed tack to Aston Villa for no other reason that I liked. Oh, God, I've got to stop because I was going to say Claret and Blue. I don't like Claret <laughs> and Blue. Obviously, I don't like Claret and Blue. I think it was just I was just you know sampling out different yeah. clubs at a very formative young age. But then ultimately, it's like, what am I doing? Who am I kidding? It's Blackburn Rovers, and it was it was actually the promotion season um, in kind of uh, two thousand two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, and that was when with my brother and my dad we were we were going to Ewood on a, a semi regular basis, and just just remember kind of the team walking out um, and just feeling a really strong emotional bond with the club i loved the kit that's i think it was kappa time computers and it was just i remember just bergen short at the back just heading balls away and i was just like i i love this team i love this club i love this stadium and what was I thinking earlier in the decade? So, but the yeah, irony so. is not lost on me that you supported Manchester United in 1994 I know, I know. Only I have, then I to... to become a yeah. Rover supporter. I mean, timing clearly is not one of your strongest suits. It really Although, isn't, may, maybe it was just out. you just wanted League Cup glory. That's what you were after. And so you decided maybe, to, to. Maybe, talk, maybe that's like it. Sean at that point. Okay, that, that wasn't the answer I expected, if I'm being 100% honest. I think, you know, Paul stuck very firmly to the script, but you've. Uh, <laughs> You've kind of gone off piece there and, and thrown me a curveball. I did used to live in Birmingham, so I, I was uh, very very friendly with a number and worked with a number of Villa fans down at the time. It was always one of my favourite away games was was going to Villa Park. Um, but I have to say, always as a Rover supporter, <laughs> never as a Villa fair supporter. Enough, fair enough. But there we go. Anyhow, lovely to have you two guys on the podcast. Uh, and interesting though it is to, to, to get your backstory, as it were, uh, you're here to talk about a podcast that you've done. How dare you encroach on our territory? I mean, the, the sheer effrontery of it is just uh, monstrous and appalling. But you've done a podcast, which is already out there. Folks can, can download the episodes. And it's called Rover's Returned. Uh, and we're, what we're going to do is we're going to explore why uh, and what the, the ground is that, that you cover. Um, so I'll hand it back to you. So, Paul, what was the genesis of starting the podcast? What is it that you wanted to uh, to share with the Rover supporters? So the genesis of this is actually December 2021 when Simon and I were having a drink at the pub. And I came to him with a pitch, essentially, saying that we'd been we speak about rovers and love talking about rovers for many years and we you know think that we have quite interesting conversations that are quite funny now maybe that's just us being a bit deluded but we i felt that there was a story in the sense that looking back at the era we grew up in in the early 2000s that period of the premier league um for for the club that it's like the second era of the Premier League for Blackburn Rovers, which I think the story is much less well told and less well appreciated. Everybody knows the story about the 90s, Shearer, Sutton, SAS, you know, winning the title. 
And inevitably, when we say to people, we're doing a, a podcast about the history of the club, everyone assumes we're doing it about the 90s. But as we established from our initial questions, that was a little bit before our time in terms of the, our age of when we became fans. And to be honest, like the era of 2001, 2012 is such a roller coaster period for the club. You see the real highs of what the club could achieve being a really well run, efficient, still family led operation to then the calamity of how it ends and all falls apart. Alongside that, you have the club navigating the choppy waters of how the Premier League's evolving quite rapidly at that time. You have the Chelsea takeover, the Man City takeover. The money starts to get really, really crazy. And all of a sudden, Blackburn's trying to navigate itself in this very competitive league with a what is now, I, I would regard, as a limited budget in a wider scheme of things. So we kind of felt, look, look there's a really interesting, interesting story here about the, the club coming back from relegation re-establishing itself, having a very successful first half of the decade, you know, multiple uh, European uh, sort of adventures, the League Cup win. You think about this, the calibre and stars of players we had in that era, you could just rattle them off just like, you know, uh, you know, number of like internationals, you know, thinking about World Cup stars as well in the early 2000s, like the Brad Friedel taking the US to the quarterfinals, Damien Duff for the Republic of Ireland. Like it's such an, an exciting time for the club. And I think it kind of gets lost in between the title victory and Venkis. And I think we really wanted to kind of like give a bit more publicity and, 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 and visibility to this really important era, which kind of connects that the high the high point of the Walker period to where we are today, yeah. and we're still kind of feeling the effects of how that period of our history ended in a sense with the Venkis taking over, and that's why we kind of said, okay, how can we take these eleven years, sort of break it down into sort of bite sized chunks, which then form the basis of each individual episode, and just have a conversation, Simon and I, about what we remember of that time, talking about. Big themes, trends. It's not a game by game kind of like, oh, we went to Charlton away, then we played Villa at home. There's a little bit of that in terms of the best games and the funny moments, but it's more broad brush, thematic, having a bit of a laugh along the way. And that's kind of what we've tried to encapsulate in how we've recorded it. Excellent. That, that's re that's really really good. It, I, I have to say, it sticks in the crawl a little bit when you sort of say, you know, you obviously your use <laughs> means you can't remember the the Premier League title. It just makes me feel so old because it still feels like yesterday to me. Uh, you know, clearly, but it, now it's it's cracking on, isn't it? And almost thirty years and all the rest of it. But even so, as you say, you picked up that decade and the Mark Hughes side. I think in particular. Um, during, during that decade was one of one of the most exciting, I think, that uh, that we've ever had at Rovers. It might have might not have been the most successful, but it certainly was a was was a side full of characters. So, Simon, what's what's your take then? What what made you sort of think a podcast about that particular time in Rovers history? This is what we must do. The public demands it. Well, I think I think Paul's pitch was was very compelling in the in the first instance so i was i was immediately struck by that i mean he's he's a very he's a very effective salesman um naturally it was very enticing the prospect of revisiting essentially your adolescence when perhaps sport takes on an outsized significance in your life so to kind of go back and explore and pack how the team was actually run, what it was doing, what it meant, was really, really interesting. And to, 
and yes, as Paul says, we, we talk about this all the time. We talk about it when we go, we meet up, we go for a drink, and and that's fine. But to but to try and put a bit of structure around it to actually go a little further and start researching, kind of putting in some of the hours that quickly become it quickly becomes apparent that are absolutely necessary. Otherwise, you very very rapidly realize that your memory <laughs> is Plays not tricks. is not as reliable as you would like yeah. it to be sometimes so i think there's it was just something that it was it was intriguing in the first instance really kind of enticing to to go back but as we went through kind of each episode it it was just really really engaging to to revisit and learn so much more um, especially just with the abundance of information that is now available on the internet. So it, it kind of puts a little bit of a different dimension on, on that, that period. And I would just say, it, I really, the, without letting on kind of like trade secrets, we kind of went through what we considered to be the defining kind of stages of our decade in the Premier League, and then went back and recorded the first episode and it was only having done the different stages that some of the really big trends and the kind of narrative arc of that decade actually became quite quite clear to us. So it was it was just something. It was the kind of the gift that kept on giving in terms of actual actually the preparation and then the, the delivery of it. And yeah, it's it's just been something that's been thoroughly enjoyable to research and then deliver. And I would hope that comes across in the actual listening of the show and that Paul and I does, yeah. are genuinely passionate about it and yeah, yeah, quite enjoy each other's so. company. So are, are, are there any plans to transcribe any of the episodes or turn it into articles or, dare I say, perhaps even a book? Have you thought about it? Even, even a book? I mean, if the demand is there, we, we, we go. If you build it, <laughs> they go. will come, yeah. If, yeah, well, uh, yeah. That well, is, maybe, that maybe we'll start off with a sort of like a, a sort of like a syndication deal with 4,000 holes, and then we can we can gradually build, build it up from there. But this is, the, Ian, this is where your expertise comes in. We're, <laughs> we're, we're just fledgling kind of uh, uh, producers in, in this space. I'll get my but... people to talk to your people after this call and see, <laughs> yeah, what, can, see yeah, what we can yeah. put together. So, Paul, back to you. When you when you were recording the episodes, what what were the things that sort of you'd forgotten about, or what were the things picking up on what Simon just said there that where you'd had that that false memory where you think, oh crikey, I thought that was that season, but it isn't. It's this season. So let me start with a a, a, a light-hearted answer, then a more serious answer. A light-hearted response to that in in, in what Simon was referencing about like what you realise, what you misremember. I I could have sworn that Ryan Nelson was a graduate of Harvard University <laughs> before before he moved uh, from the US to the UK. And in, for years, we, we, I think we even say in the podcast, we have a Harvard man. And it was only actually then looking on Wikipedia, we realized he was a graduate of Stanford. And <laughs> in, in my mind, that, that doesn't sound like a big thing, but in my mind, it was massive because I had assumed, I kept saying to everyone, we have a, we have a, we're probably the only team in England to have a Harvard graduate play for us. Um, <laughs> now, Stanford is obviously still a very good university, but, you know... That, it's, it's not to be sneezed like at, in fairness. No, it's up there. Not to be say, sneezed yeah. at. Um, and so it was little things like that that, wow, I was like, in my head, I really had convinced myself. On a more serious note, though, I think the thing that... One of the things that really, really stood out to me going back and doing the research and recording it with Simon is... When you're kind of looking at that, that, that era in a compressed fashion and you're, you're researching it and then you're recording it over a series of weeks, you really kind of see the ebb and flow and the, the kind of the change of the playing team squad 
and the investment uh, or and then the eventual lack of investment. And it really, really stood out to me, like t- particularly towards the second half of the of the noughties, just how underinvested the midfield, particularly the central midfield area of the club was compared to where it was earlier, earlier in the in the decade. And you can really see just the cracks starting to appear that I think are papered over by a few star, maybe say goal scorers or a more attacking, say, minded midfielder like David Bentley. But the the the, the overall quality of the midfield right, just feels like it really drops off a cliff. Um, and I think about when I think about comparing it to the start of the time when we when we first got promoted, when you've got the likes of just signed two guy. Uh, you've got David Dunn, we've got Flick Croft. It's just very different later on in terms of the kind of calibre of midfield. Um, and then I think the other serious one that really stood out to me is it's interesting. And, the, and I must go sort of like give a lot of like um, credit to all the Rovers fans who've previously done work and exposing the kind of the Venkis takeover and all the kind of the timeline and chronology of events. Because I think Simon and I have still had conversations during recording and after recording saying it's still not really clear like what some of the like explaining some of the actual decisions or explaining certain goings on even the explanations that are given and purported in the media they still don't really make sense to us but I think it's really illuminating going back and just seeing that when you see all the letters that the say the ex-board members or ex-directors wrote that were subsequently leaked when you're reading them after the fact, then you kind of like trying to situate your mind in terms of, okay, where was John Williams's head at when he was writing that letter? It just really ju- does paint a dark picture of how... Do, do you know what? Um, there's, there's definitely a podcast documentary series in sort of like the, I think the first two years of the Venkis reign. So let's just sow that seed and park it for now. But there's there's definitely a series in there. And I think you're absolutely right. There, there's still yeah, a lot, we, a lot more we, we've often, continuing the Harvard theme, we, we've, Simon and I have often joked, we honestly think there's a, there's a real like Harvard business school kind of like case, case study, study there in yeah. terms of yeah. like how to take a well-functioning business, yeah. put people in who've got no idea yeah. and then watch what happens. I mean, yeah, the analogy honestly, I, I think I used at the time was just, just imagine if me and a couple of my mates happen to be wealthy enough to buy an IPL franchise, but we'd never played cricket, we'd never seen a cricket game, but we, we went over to India and we sort of said, let's, let's buy this. Yeah. Do you know how it works? No, not really. Do you know how to get players? No, not really. You can borrow them, can't you? Yeah, <laughs> You just wouldn't do it. It just makes no sense. But as we say, that, that, that's another story for another day, perhaps. What shall we say? So, Simon, as you, as you, were, you were going through the episodes, what was, what was your favourite year or most, most notable memory from, from that period of time that you cover in the podcast? My favourite year was undoubtedly the year when Rocky Santa Cruz graced Ewood Park with, was it 24? Four goals in all competitions. Um, looking at Paul for, for kind of confirmation or um, otherwise, I I just thought he was a one was a wonderful player, so classy and just personified a side that for me, as as you as you said before, Ian, it was it was perhaps our I think a really underrated side, and but just one that was it was really balanced. I think the, the the team of kind of Sunes with Duff and Dunn perhaps had greater greater highs and probably greater individual quality, but I just thought the the 
the, the, the layout of that team with Santa Cruz kind of at the top, who was just such... Yeah, I, I, I could really wax lyrical for, for way too long talking about how much I love Rocky Santa Cruz. But yeah, that, that, that season and just the fact when, it was when he scored away at the Riverside in that first game. And it's just like, yes, we've, we've, he's really cool, but he can score goals as well. Do you, do you and know, it my, was, my abiding memory of Rocky Santa Cruz is before he'd even played a game for us, which is his signing on. You know, when they had that, that press thing at, at Ewood. And they were giving him a ball to juggle, and it went over to Hughes, and didn't Hughes like sort of try oh, yes, to it up, and then and then volleyed it back. And you thought, I think he could still do a job for us, you know, Sparky. Yeah. I don't think it's beyond him. But it yeah, was... I do, I do. That was on um, that was on Northwest tonight. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was that was a that was a great moment because he was wearing kind of like smart shoes as yeah. well, and still was able it's to just, like, just flicked it up and here you go, son. Yeah. Wow. I, thought, I thought it was there was just something about that that summed up that era quite beautifully in a microcosm. Yes. But as you say, I love the shirt as well because it was based on the the England Umbro design at the time. So it was a, yeah. it was a bit funkier and a bit sort of like flashier than we'd normally be used to. Uh, I think Rovers Rovers kit. With white socks as well, always looks particularly particularly good under floodlights as well. There's something about the white the white shorts white socks combo that I think it takes me back to you know, my early earliest days supporting Rovers. That's that's what's ingrained in my mind as being the right kit in inverted commas. And as you say, um, Hughesy sort of like put loads and loads of players in that side that were that were fascinating. So as I've got yeah. Paul and Simon with me, what we thought we'd do is we'd play you a little clip from an, an episode and. Um, Nothing if not traditional. We'll start with episode one. Uh, and we'll just get Paul to talk around episode one. And then we'll, we'll play you the clip. And then hopefully that will point you in direction, give you a taster, uh, and make you listen to, to the whole episode. So, Paul, episode one, uh, this sets up the series, I guess, does it? Yeah, it does, Ian. And that was, the, that was the rationale for how Simon and I decided on the creative structure for episode one. So I, I would really say that, what we do in episode one is we reflect on the the overarching story and I guess themes that play out through Blackburn's time in the Premier League from 2001 to 2012 and try and distill it down in a way that summarizes it in quite bite-sized chunks. And if you really want to get a, a good overview of the series, episode one is, a, is, if you only listen to one episode, it's probably the one to listen to because it will give you our overarching thoughts on what we've learned through the series. Because even though it is episode one, we actually recorded it last. Well, I should say we recorded it twice. It was the first episode we recorded and then when we got through to the end of the series, we realised we'd learned so much on the way that the, our first effort <laughs> was so ill-informed that we actually went back and re-recorded episode one. Simon was very patient with me to, to give it more time to re-record what was already a perfectly good episode, and, and he's still locked away on, on my computer somewhere. But we'd learned so much through going through all the research, doing the episodes, that we kind of thought we could put the uh, the story in better context. And I think that's what we've really tried to do throughout the series is really put the story in the in the light that it deserves. Because I think something I find frustrating right now as a fan is because we're not, you know, having the most successful period we've ever had. I kind of want to people, particularly non-fans and also maybe newer fans, to remember that this is a really exciting period of the club's history. And one of the one of the um, things that fans uh, or sorry listeners will hear in in the clip is around the comparison we make with Leicester, and I, I felt like I was on the the, the 
the sort of like the other end of the spectrum when it came to Leicester winning the league because I think for most fans they saw it as like this is a great thing Every, anyone can win the Premier League if Leicester can win it I can win it I was actually the opposite to that in the sense that I thought one oh people think this is a big bigger story than Blackburn it's not they're wrong Blackburn's a far better story win the league than Leicester is and we make that argument in the in, in the episode but also I felt that Leicester winning actually set the Premier League back decades by giving fans false hope that they could win the league so it's really trying to like put Blackburn's story in context and you know, give ourselves a bit of the kind of credit that we deserve and, and yeah. kind of have a bit of fun doing it as well sounds terrific well let's listen to that clip now so it's from episode one of Rovers Returned and as, we, as um, Paul has rightly said this kind of like sets up the series and if you want to listen to more I'm sure you can find the full Rovers Returned episode hello there You're listening to the BRFCS podcast, and this bit is simply a mechanism to assist the editing together of two different parts. Sorry to let daylight in upon magic, but there it is. Yeah, I I like that. We're we're here to we're here to write the history of that of that era and do it justice. I think I think that's a fair I think that's a fair reflection. You mentioned you mentioned the 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 running of the club from Jack Walker, and I I think it's worth just like reflecting a second there because this era we're talking about for the purpose of this podcast is the post-Jack Walker era, who sadly passed away in August 2000, I believe. And the real distinction, I think, in this podcast compared to the 90s is the position we find ourselves competing in the league now in this period. And this is when the likes of Chelsea are taken over and real big money starts coming into the game versus ourselves in the 90s, when, to your point, you know, a local man from Lancashire bought his boyhood club with the sole purpose of making him the best in the league. Now, like that is one of the most romantic ideas you could think about in football. And for me, it's why I think that the story of Blackburn Rovers is so appealing. And it does have that sort of real place in football history that this wasn't about some billionaire owner looking to diversify their their investment portfolio of sport clubs or looking for a, a UK asset to invest in. He was genuinely doing it to put his boyhood club on the map. And I think to this day, it's why I still maintain and will still argue to the hilt that Blackburn Rovers' triumph in the Premier League is a much better story than Leicester because it was a locally grown we're six minutes in, and that's that's come out. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, it's, it's... we're setting out our stall early. Which <laughs> which clubs do we have? Do we have beef with Leicester first and foremost. No, but but it's but it's true though, right? And and I I don't think I don't think that should get forgotten that like the, the sort of the, the novelty and just the the real uniqueness of of the story of Blackburn Rovers and. Now, someone might say, well, why aren't you doing a podcast about that era? Well, that wasn't the era that you and I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I personally was a bit later to, to football as, a, as like a diehard fan of a club. And, you know, my first season as a real Rovers fan was actually the season they got relegated in 98-99. So I didn't pick a particularly good time to start, to start following the club. <laughs> But that's why it's also the 90s is not the right period for me to, to reflect. And it's also been well covered by other people. What you and I grew up on was the noughties. And it's where you and I met each other and became friends. And to your point, like, I genuinely do believe, and I'm sure I hope we can do this justice over the course of the next several episodes, 
that there was a really fascinating story here involving really exciting players, exciting managers, teams. Yeah, and some of it was a bit of a disaster, and that's part of the story. But it's also the story that needs telling. And I think mm. it's telling from a fan's perspective, because I think, sadly, the end of this era coincided with an unfair reflection of how Blackburn Rovers fans were portrayed by the national media. And I think, you know, hopefully we can just write that ship a little bit. And, and like you said, write the history of our, our, our own way and talk of identifying it. So, yeah, maybe I've started off with some big takes there. So please feel, no. feel, feel free to rein me in. No, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do such a thing. I mean, the big, the big takes um, of, of what I of what I log on for. Um, I think, I think it's, but it's just so, it's just so tantalizing as well, and so so intriguing that it's like a, it's like a disaster movie. We we know how this ends. We know how this decade. Steve Keen is kind of. I don't know. Like, is he is he like the Death Star looming into view? It's more like, <laughs> it's more like the Emperor, right? It's it's not yeah, more like yeah, the Emperor. There's, you know, there's he's there. A Star Wars analogy here that we can kind of latch <laughs> onto, um, but it's just as we as we I imagine as we chart will chart the kind of ebbs and flows of this era. But by and large, it was a, an era of of real success, well grounded, methodically earned success. But then this kind of dark shadow is starting to kind of um, is, is, is really looming into view. And that's ultimately what characterizes the, the following decade. And I think, yeah, just just to your point about why this is so interesting, is that in the subsequent uh, 10 years, Blackburn, from being this model club in many ways, I guess a, a model for for what supporters of other small town clubs i mean and they're dotted all around um the country so almost like a mm. this is what you can aspire to maybe the premier league's a different different place now but that was a, a premier league of largesse you could aspire to compete in that premier league and that was something that i i would like to think was was very inspiring for, for, for football fans across the country it almost certainly wasn't but i'd like to think it was but yeah, and uh, but then from the 2011 through till present day, Blackburn has just been this this basket case of a club in many ways, or the perception has been that it's been a, that it is a basket case. So it's just again, just going back to the original point, I think it's just so I'm just so excited to kind of get into the detail and just to relive some of the the memories of. Um, of what made this club so so intriguing and so exciting to support during this time. Yeah, I I like I really really agree with that, and I, I think that the start of the the start of that period in the early two thousands was the return of the of the of the pre, of Blackburn to the Premier League, and back then like there was still some money at least floating around from from the from the Walker Trust and. You know they were willing. They were able to make some big investments, like signing Andy Cole in, in, in the first season back. Mm-hmm. And it's it's impressive to me in hindsight just how how just like normal it felt, and just it felt that they were they were in a place that they belonged, and it didn't feel that the amount of effort. Obviously, there's a lot of effort involved. But you didn't feel like they were out of place. It didn't feel that they were punching really above their weight to the point that you didn't feel it was sustainable. It really was only after several years. And this is where I think it ties into the broader Premier League development. 
that to your point the the sort of the 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 i guess the power of the emperor started becoming more pronounced <laughs> and you know the, the 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 pull of the force uh the dark side was getting more pronounced in a way that the club couldn't couldn't really couldn't really resist apologies for any non-star wars fans out here we will we'll not we'll endeavor not to do full full-on star wars analogies throughout throughout the series um but but i think that that for me is really interesting because it just shows you how rapid and i think that's something it's hard to see in the moment but you see it when you go back and you look at some of the details and the, 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 actually the growth and TV money and foreign money coming into the game, just how all of a sudden this club that felt like we had a fairly sustainable business model in this, in this, in this uh, era of the Premier League, by the second half of that decade, it was already becoming quite shaky. And I, my personal view is that it kind of, it demonstrated the fact that this was actually now us living beyond our means that the way that football was evolving and the infrastructure that we had and the financial resources we had, it, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like it was sustainable. And I still think to this day, the club has not worked out what, what it wants. And I think, mm. you know, there are different fans perspectives of that. And some fans will always say we are a premier league club, but you know, I, I apologies. you know, I'm a Rovers fan, but like, if I look at it from brute numbers, are we, are we really mm. like based on the, the number of people we get through the through the door now compared to like say what the other 20 biggest clubs in the country get? And I think we're really compounded by that issue in the broader scheme of the of the money. And I think this this era is that it's it's sadly it's also a, an example of the the downside of the money coming in to the game. So it will be remiss of me whilst I've got Paul and Simon here. Um, we're at very early in pre-season as it is right now, but yeah, we're starting to get a flavour for the, the new JDT era. Still can't quite get my head around that, whether it's high-end consumer electronics or whether it's an estate agency, but JDT, it's the way forward. So, Paul, let's come to you first of all then. What's your greatest hope and greatest fear for the season that we're about to encounter? So I think my greatest hope for the season is to see the establishment and the sort of the seeds of a new organizational structure inside the club take effect. Now that 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 might sound sound quite a boring answer in terms of I want to see lots of goals promotion, but I think the thing that's really given me a lot of enthusiasm and optimism this off season is it's seeing the changes implemented in the way in which we're bringing in the director of football model with a head coach, there's a clear desire to bring a particular type of ethos to the playing style throughout the club, whether that's first team under 23s or through way through to the academy. And it feels a million miles from where we were 10 years ago when we were just embarking on our first season back in the championship, when in the similar off season, Chevy Singh was appointed global advisor. Now, that term that was never really clear to me what that ever meant, other than lots of very bad headlines from someone who clearly was not fit for purpose. And I think given the context of you know what Simon and I have been doing with our own podcast and looking back at the previous area of when we we're in the Premier League, I, I really see a lot of optimism in terms of this new director of football model and the head coach. Now that's positive. I'm not saying all things off the field have been resolved because there's clearly a lot of things that still need to be to be worked on. But it's a positive step. My fear, though, 
is that those changes behind the scenes are in they're necessary, but they're not sufficient to rectify deficiencies on the playing squad uh, end of the scale. And losing the likes of Lenehan, Nyambe, Rothwell, and you know the questions about how much do we actually have to spend in the transfer uh, in the transfer market. I saw you know, um, Waggett's comments recently where he was talking about the, the, the size of the budget and he was conflating it with how we were spending the money on playing wages and just kind of raising a few eyebrows in terms of, wait a minute, what is the actual budget we have here? So I think the fear I have is answering the question of how competitive a budget do we have to take on what are quite large teams now in the championship, whether they've got parachute payment money or not, and how JDT is going to going to actually manage that. So it really feels like best case scenario for me would be a stabilizing year. Just implement the changes, understand what the, what the playing squad is and blood through some of the youngsters as well if we can. I think that's a very level-headed approach. I think anyone who's expecting... Well, it's very, no, it's very hard to say until the window closes quite what to expect, I think, in terms of making predictions about where we'll finish. But I think you're absolutely right. Fans of management and organisational structure, of course, will be paying very close attention to what's going on at Blackburn Rovers. I think most supporters will be interested to see what happens on the pitch. Simon, what's your take then? Are you more or less optimistic than your esteemed colleague? I'm always more optimistic. Um, but... For those who have listened to our podcast, that may not give them much hope, uh, considering what I'm about to say about the season. But uh, I always thought that under Tony Mowbray, we were a lot less than the sum of our parts in terms of individual quality, um, player for player. And my view was that in order to get anywhere near to promotion, we would have to have almost a significant advantage in terms of um, squad depth and quality over some of our nearest competitors in order to kind of offset that managerial drag. I don't want to be despairing. I've got a lot of time for Tony Mowbray. I think he, what he did at the club, he, he deserves a huge amount of respect. And the the unceremonious way in which he left, I think, was 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 really poor and didn't reflect well on the club at all and brought back some quite un- unpleasant memories, actually, of of the period Paul um, alludes to. So I think that I was willing to take a punt on a new manager in the hope that they would take us forward in terms of just that managerial kind of quality and kind of game management. I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, especially taking on, on board what Paula said, that there seems to be a process, there seems to be quite a level-headed, structured process that has resulted in us getting John Dahl Thomason. So I'm quite positive by virtue of the managerial appointment, but the elephant in the room is is the, the playing squad at the moment, which is which is now in a much, much worse position than it was at the end of end of the year with the departure of three of our stalwart performers from last season sticking in the crawl that they've all departed on a free. I mean, we knew that was going to happen pretty much, but still, when it actually materialises, it it leaves you it leaves you feeling a little bit cold. So yeah, the, the concern is definitely that we we don't make the movements necessary quickly enough to get us into a competitive position. And the feeling is that if we don't do that, 
a, series, a season of stabilization could be one where we're looking nervously over our shoulders. And I, I really hope that doesn't happen because I wouldn't want there to be a sense of disgruntlement with the fundamentals, the good foundations that have been put in place. So, yeah, it's 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 a tough one. It's a really tough one yeah, to call at this stage. Well, but, it's, it's uh, very it is very early in the summer. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot can happen, and of course the, the the window doesn't close for many weeks yet. But there's no doubt that you prefer to see players coming in early, be embedded in, getting used to the tactics, the formation, their colleagues. And I think from a fan morale perspective, it's crazy, isn't it? Because it's like you can you can sign as as Alan Sugar used to say, Carlos Kickerball, and no one's heard of him. But it's a signing. It's something to hang your hat on. We've signed somebody, and right now you know you're just looking for those shards of light that will will provide some optimism. But I think I think you both yeah you both picked up on the the, the major points. There's been a, a reorganisation. There's been a, a, a reshuffle in the boardroom and the, in the way that the club conducts its business. I think that bodes well. It's got to translate into results though. But listen, Paul Simon, thank you so much for giving up your time. It's been a pleasure chatting. So once again, just to, to reiterate, the Rovers Return podcast then talks about Rovers from 2001 through to 2012, and it's available through all the usual podcast vendors, but I've seen it already on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so that's as good a place as any to go to download it. Thanks both, guys. Really entertaining chat. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Ian, and thanks for having us on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, likewise, Ian. Really good to talk, and here's hoping for a, for a good season ahead. give the lay of the land about why Ash Phillips, Hayden Carter and Jack Vale are the spine of a championship winning side. <laughs> Fuck me, you're delusional. Sorry, sorry, did I say that word? <laughs> I meant to whistle to that under my breath. That'd be really good, because yeah? then if it comes true, you're going to look like some kind of sage sent from the future. Hi, I'm Ben Britton, and uh, you're listening to BRFC's Supporters Podcast. Look around, this is a football stadium. This is really English tradition, passion, what you, what you like. A club with tradition, and every manager, every football, uh, footballers, all person who loves football, fans, they want to be involved in this. Network. Wings are here. Oh, from. No, I'd never order from anymore. Popeyes now has wings in five flavors ghost pepper, roasted garlic parmesan, sweet and spicy, signature hot, and honey barbecue. Marinated in Louisiana spices, hand battered and flipped. Makes no sense they're $5.99 for six pieces. Taste them. Mmm, crunchy outside. And juicy inside. 
Consider me a convert. That's the most romantic thing you've said to me all month. We don't make sense. We make chicken. Love that chicken from Popeyes. Price may vary. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.